Just before we get started, my apologies for this taking so long. We had a computer crash. The mainframe at World Headquarters went down and we lost some of the data from this episode and some from past episodes. We're hoping some computer deke magic can bring that back someday. We're going to start using the cloud more now. And sometimes it's just hard to get things done in summer. There's a little bit of an echo in some of this episode, and that has to do with some of the files we lost and not being able to go back and clean that up. We also know that Kawhi got traded. It happened just shortly after we recorded this episode. Here's 26. Enjoy. It's July 2019. This is episode 26, the Toronto Raptors. Slow day, I'm hoping for a slow day. Yeah, Bruce, I know I talked way too much. I have to cut a bunch of that stuff out, but oh, yeah. I've been excited just to talk to you guys about this shit. Yeah, well, you haven't ta- we haven't we haven't chatted yet, so I mean, it was I know. great to connect on it, man. We would have on a... I didn't... It would have been four hours if we were in the basement. Maybe the craziest part of my story, y'all know I had tickets to Game 7. Yes. So had they lost Game 6, I would have been in Paris holding on to a ticket for Game 7, <laughs> needing to decide what to do. George was laughing at me because I'd been stressing over this for like a couple of weeks going, dude, I'm so fucked in the coast of game seven. I'm going to be in France. Like, what am I going to do? <laughs> I had one of my colleagues grease to cover. So if it had gone to game seven, I was going to get on a plane after my night of call and fly to Toronto for the game <laughs> and then take a midnight flight back you know, on Monday. Because I thought if Les pulls off leaving Paris, like the most romantic place on earth, Well, I'll tell you what, I had gone back and forth in my mind because the other thing that was crazy was how much I could have sold the game seven tickets for. I'm not kidding. I could have got $10,000 for my one ticket. If it had gone to game seven, I'm confident maybe 15, but for sure, $10,000 paid for it. So, so now I'm looking at, Hey, I'm not going to be here anyway. I should sell my ticket, pay for my entire two weeks in France, right? (laughs) Pay for my holiday with my girlfriend or, buy another plane ticket, fly home, (laughs) go to the game. Before I left, I actually bought a refundable ticket to come back from Paris to go to game seven. I went back and forth. forth. I decided I can't live with myself. You know, like it's not about the money at this point. It's about the 22 year journey. And my buddy Johnny in New York, he goes, trust me, this is a once in a lifetime for you. You may never, ever get back here with your team in the finals in game seven. There's no amount in of money your, that, in, right? Yeah, home home court. Yeah. Home yeah, court? Like, come on. So I had purchased a ticket to fly back, and Alex had given me the, the sign-off on it. She was just like, oh, for Christ's sake, I'll be fine in Paris for two days by myself. So thank God I didn't have to do that. Now that would have been worth marrying her for. <laughs> Let's start with that. Just before we get started, just to make sure we're all on the same page as we're listening to this, understand this is just four guys sitting around in a virtual living room having a chat because they're stuck in a snowstorm. It's not our professional selves. There's nothing here we're embarrassed about, but there's going to be a little bit of swearing and just us being us. So let's just take it for what it is. This is Snow Day, a podcast with Dr. George Alvarez. And Les, I don't want you in a gunfight. You fucking broke down. You are a captain of industry and you shat the bed and completely lost your marbles. Stephen DeGroote, internationally renowned speaker, author, and leadership expert. It had to be the first time Fred Mighty slam dunked in the tournament in grade eight. Leslie Hansen, software company owner and CEO. You know, sometimes the level of extreme that my my Raptors fandom goes to makes me feel ridiculous. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm that guy. I'm 48 years old, and I'm going to a game and then coming home and watching it again uh, on TV because I taped it, and then getting up the next day and watching the U.S. feed. I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, I'm, a, I'm an idiot. And me, Bruce Krentz, the one they left behind. If there was ever any doubt where we fell on the spectrum of fans, you call it us less, and I call them the Raptors. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I'm I'm doing the countdown. George doesn't have to be part of this. (laughs) (laughs) It's my favorite part of the pod. I'm counting us in. Yeah, do it. Five, four, three, three, two, two, 
One. 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 <laughs> the Snow Day Podcast is finally back. We've been apart for almost two months, apart in the virtual living room. Just life has caught up with us in a hundred different ways, but we finally got this going. We're just after Canada Day, so it's early in July 2019. The Raptors just made history in Canada, and we have to talk about that. Less the biggest rap fan I know, and uh, I'm sure bordering on one of the biggest in our country. So we can't let this pass <laughs> us by. Georgie's here in HQ with me. So the world headquarters, 15 Sturgeon Crescent, we're set up in the studio. Kick it off, man. Yeah, the last time I was in Thompson, we did an extra extra at <laughs> Studio B. So I love being at headquarters in the basement. It's fantastic. Since the last time we did a pod together, I think the big things that happened for me are personally the wind up of the school year for my kids. That's a big one. And uh, just working like crazy to get all this time off in summer. And then I've come up here for my yearly trip. You know, it's quite important for my kids to see my uh, mother and my sisters and uh, I did a little bit of work at uh, Paint Lake, and uh, I've been enjoying my mom's food, which has been a topic of conversation in previous pods, and I'm super excited to touch base again with all of you guys. Conchita couldn't help herself. She sent us a lunch. I had a lunch packed for a trip out to the oh, lake yesterday. Dude, and she, you're so lucky. She, she just made my lunch look so pitiful. I didn't even take it out of the car. Like, <laughs> I was like, forget it. I'm so jealous. <laughs> frozen, frozen burgers and a bag salad really do not look good after you've been through her kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> for me, obviously, having Georgie out at Studio P out of Paint Lake yesterday was great. I put him to work. We had some giant concrete blocks that had to get put down as part of a project that's happening later on this summer. And and he's right, I'm fading into old manville. Nobody gets to come out there without putting their muscles to work. Seb was chopping wood. <laughs> Literally no free lunch. Not only did you not pay for lunch, my mother supplied it. I worked for free. Perfect, perfect. 2,200 pounds of concrete got moved. So Steve, I think it's a perfect time for you and I to make a trip to Paint Lake because Krentz just got the Portuguese to do all the concrete work. It's all done. Yeah, yeah. So now it's, it's time for us to just go in and have martinis. It's true. One of my other highlights was Todd Harwood and I got asked to do a speech at the Badminton Provincial. So Badminton Provincials were here. Harwood and I were the guest speakers, and I did a three-shirt gag that included the shirt that I wore when I played badminton in Provincials in 1988. And the, <laughs> the joke there is Wongers and I showed up with these beautiful badminton shirts that our club had just bought. And when we got there, they had red collars. And at the time, your shirt had to be completely white. You weren't allowed to have red collars. And they were going to kick us out of the tournament. Like, it was bizarre. <laughs> and this, this some other team sort of came over and saw what was going on and said, hey, we have this bag, just sort of our kit bag with birdies and a bunch of junk in it. We have these shirts that we use as rags, but they're plain white shirts. So if you guys want to use these... They meet the recommendations. And so I thought you were going to say that you guys cut the collars off your shirts. <laughs> we should have cut off the collars and the sleeves. But just like now, I didn't have the pipes to pull that off. So <laughs> Wongers and I are out there. You can see through these shirts. The one was sagging so much Wong's nipples hanging out. And we just looked like the, the biggest hillbillies you'd ever seen. Ended up winning prov. So I, I wore that as part of the speech and kind of told that story. So it was a, a bit of a laugh. But on top of that, I wore the souvenir shirt that we got plus the badminton shirts from Provincials here in Thompson. So as part of the speech, I kept peeling off clothes, and then uh, it didn't go well on the last shirt. I, I showed full old man hairy chest to a gym full of teenagers, so it was a, it was a gonger. But Better I, than your hairy sack. <laughs> <laughs> if, 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 Stevie D, what have you been up to? Have you showed off? Any hair uh, to people? Uh, yeah, no, I try not to. Not since the charges, you know. Um, <laughs> I've seen everybody but less. It's weird. I, I went out to see George for about four, four or five days. Um, Bruce, I saw you when you came through. Uh, we had a couple of beers uh, together. He still looks like the young Wayne Gretzky. It was awesome. Felt like I was picking up somebody, somebody super important. <laughs> Trying to come back to Winnipeg to see my boys, um, which is hard because they're older and they're both working. Braden just got into uh, the mechanical stream of engineering, so he's going into his third year. And Zane just got his first job at Dairy Queen. Dairy Queen alum. Didn't uh, Brazil work there too? You've, you've been having free flurries for a decade. I told you, Zane just has to show up and they say, oh, are you Braden's brother? You're hired. Like that's just... <laughs> <laughs> so Bray's paving the way for, for Zane, for sure. But yeah, just been bouncing all over the place, trying to get some stuff uh, in order to launch this uh, new company. Um, and you guys know how hard I've worked up to this point in my life. It's I never knew I had another gear. Uh, it's absolutely insane. 
a notable. I did see Chris Bamberger out in Sudbury, who's the head of learning and development for all of the North Atlantic for Valet, that we went for drinks with him and Melissa. And he said, oh, yeah, yeah, I just started listening to the Snow Day podcast. It's actually, it's actually pretty funny. <laughs> so shout out to Chris Bamberger. Yeah. Absolutely stellar backhanded compliment from him. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't think yeah. you guys had it in you. You're not bad. Yeah, not bad. <laughs> Lester, you've been like, I don't even know where you've all been since the last time we talked, but what, what are some of the highlights, man? Well, first I'll tell you a fun little shout out, Bruce. I heard from a guy, Bruce, you know him because this is a guy named Sean Sweet, who I went to high school with in Winnipeg at Grant Park. You originally met him because he was working summer job, 1988, when there were all those forest fires. He was somewhere up north working for, I don't know, one of the government commissions. Northern Flying Sports Camps. Yeah, okay. And he got evacuated into Thompson, realizing, hey, I know one guy from Thompson. And he called me <laughs> and said, it looks like I'm going to be stuck in Thompson. And I gave him your name and phone number. And I think that's how you originally met Sean Sweet. He was reminding me that, did he line you up a job later on when you went north or you took a job after he had it or something when you were up in the arctic kind of a little bit of both so to fill in a couple small gaps in that story yeah he got our name from you but actually bumped into my dad first because okay. my dad was helping like run one of the schools where him and his friends were supposed to be evacuated to like they were supposed yeah. to sleep in the gym and he said hey you can come stay at our house yeah uh, you guys have sleeping bags and everything so you, like no services but you can come crash in the basement it beats the school gym <laughs> so they stayed at our place for a, for a couple days then he moved up north to joe haven and when he was leaving i took his job and he put in a good word for me knowing like he saw my name on the resumes and said hey like i know this guy he, he's all right so he basically got my first real job and yeah I, yeah i took over his house and his job in joe haven <laughs> that is so I'm funny wow. joe haven. that's wild yeah. Bruce, let me take this one step further. Sean and I chat. I haven't seen him in years, but we chat once in a while on Facebook, mostly just about the Raptors. He's a big Raps fan. <laughs> nice. So a few nights ago, he messages me out of the blue and says, hey, man, I just came across this podcast on CBC about Carrie Brown. And I'm thinking that's like around the time that you lived in Thompson. Like, do you know this story? And I said, I responded, <laughs> said, yeah, you know, new Carrie. We had a little bit of back and forth. Uh, I mentioned you and he reminded me, oh, yeah, like Crancy goes, I left a fishing rod in his car. Like we had this little back and forth. And then, of course, I finished it by, oh, yeah, by the way, here's a podcast of me and Crance discussing the Carrie Brown podcast. And I sent it to him. <laughs> and I'd, I haven't heard back from him since. I, I followed up with a bet you didn't see that coming. <laughs> Shout out to Sean Sweet. If he, if he listens to that one, he's going to have to listen to this one. And maybe we got a we got a new yeah, listener no for the Snow Day podcast. I just thought it was so freaking <laughs> random. He asks me a question. I'm like, oh yeah, here you go. I did not see that one coming uh, around to the Carrie Brown podcast. <laughs> yeah, it's actually Bruce. It's more than two months since our last pod. According to our conference call software here, the last one we re recorded was April fifteenth. So it's almost Whoa. three months. That's terrible, eh? <laughs> that is. I'm embarrassed. We got to be better. In that time, I have, for some reason, all of my single, you know, almost 50-year-old jackass friends have decided to get married this summer. I've been to a bachelor party in Nashville, a bachelor tour of whiskey distilleries in Scotland, a wedding that took me to France for a couple of weeks. I made a Winnipeg trip in the middle there where I tried to track you down, Steve, and you were in Toronto. And uh, now I actually find myself in Ottawa, Canada Day in our nation's capital for the first time in about 30 years for me. And that was fun and exciting. That's where I am tonight, actually, still sitting in Ottawa. All right. That makes my head spin. I'm almost on Steve's pace right now, and I can't take it. <laughs> <laughs> Except you're not working less. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Except that very minor detail. <laughs> I was wondering if somebody was going to mention that. <laughs> hey, airports are airports, Steve. Like, come on, I got jet lag, too. Right. Fuck yeah. you. suck balls. Yeah. The transatlantic flight is a toughie, but you guys know that Ponton burnt down, so there's, there's no indoor toilets within four hours of Thompson. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and I've been traveling to Flintfont in the Paul. I mean, we're men, we have options, but it's crazy. I drove by there, of course, just a few weeks ago, and I went, oh, I want to stop at Ponton, and I can't believe, you know, you're going to have to hold your pee. And my daughter said, there's no way we're stopping. The last time we stopped at Ponton, 
I got eaten by deer flies. So she has this aversion to pot and nothing to do with that story. She's all, I hate it. I hate it. I don't want to stop. So we had to keep driving. And then we had to stop for her to like to pee, like crouch down and pee in the bush. <laughs> Maybe we should get an outhouse uh, erected there. Get, get a porta potty and put a snow day pod uh, label on it. A snow day pot outhouse with us playing on a loop in there would be hilarious, though. We could sponsor it. <laughs> Put one of Colin Belmore's uh, baseball jerseys on there because uh, he was such a he was such an icon. Shout out to Colin Belmore. Oh, that's a good. Zara say, I hate pot and I wish it burnt down. And then he drove up and said, Oh, look what happened! <laughs> look what happened! That's dark, Steve. <laughs> you wish this. Look what you've done. <laughs> <laughs> All right, things have gone downhill on the check-in. <laughs> It's time to talk raps, boys. It's been a couple weeks less. I'm sure you know the actual day that the Raptors clinched or, or won the championship. Yes, uh, indeed. Probably about two and a half weeks ago. What was the day? Well, it was it was June 14th, which Come is on. my birthday. I will never forget it. It was. I will never forget Come it. Come on, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not good with birthdays. What do you, what do you want from me? I, even, I sent Les a message on his birthday. I just didn't put all that together. He was half, yeah. a, half a world away. We had different yeah. time zones. That's what yeah, I'm doing. Yeah, well, you know, I, I am cheating a little bit when I say that because the game date was actually June 13th. The game ended, I think, just before... Uh, midnight Toronto time. It, it clearly ended before midnight on the uh, on the West Coast where it was played. So it actually will have a date of June 13th. But I was in Paris at the time and I was six hours ahead. So it was six in the morning yeah. the day of my birthday yeah. when the Raptors won the, uh, won the championship. And, uh, when they hoisted it, yeah. And for sure our cover art is you pouring champagne over your head in Paris at <laughs> six in the morning. Probably not a lot of other Raptors fans right around you, yeah, but uh, yeah, was no. any did anybody else there even know what was going on or was that just all you? I knew uh, that I was going to be in Paris uh, for game six and I was fairly confident the Raptors were going to win in game six. I felt good about it. I spent some time trying to find a sports bar that would show the game. There's actually a Canadian-themed sports bar in Paris called The Moose. And I went by there during the day. <laughs> of course. And they said, no, because the game is coming on at 3 a.m. and there won't be enough people here. We're not going to open the bar from 3 a.m. till 6 a.m. I watched the game on my laptop in my hotel room, slept for a couple hours, set my alarm for 2 a.m. After having spent like... I don't know, fuck, half a day figuring out how to VPN back to North America because you can't even get any of those legit NBA feeds when you're overseas. So, <laughs> I, and I was concerned, like, if I had a bootleg feed that it would go down. I was, like, terrified, right? I'm like, I need to have, like, a solid, solid connection. So I got one of my one of my buddies, Johnny, who's an IT consultant in New York, to, like, set me up with a VPN so I could actually patch my way back. Jesus Christ, I'm that guy. Into my, my Bell 5 network at home and know that I had a solid connection. Now, there's another part of the story, which I can tell later for that, but uh, that's where I was watching. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a, a crazy moment. Um, obviously, a huge celebration. Um, my girlfriend managed to catch a lot of it on videotape because she just found it so entertaining to watch me like run around. She was the one that suggested I go outside. I think she thought I was going to like just start smashing things in the hotel room because I was kind of like just running around in circles. Oh, so you're saying she was scared. She was scared. Is I think what you were saying? Yeah. She's like, Jesus, I think you need to like, Safe place. this room is too small. You need to go outside. So, uh, so we went outside. We had, had the classic celebration, you know, poured, did the, did the champagne shower realized that pouring champagne on your head really does sting your eyes. Like, no joke. Now I understand yeah. why all of those stupid ski goggles because it really freaking burned. And, of course, because I was in a hotel room in Paris, it was probably the most expensive mini bar champagne bottle I've ever poured out on the street of my life. It was ridiculous. But uh, worth worth every penny. As I'm coming, and there's nobody on the streets of Paris in the neighborhood that we were in. Like, there was literally no one around. You can see in the video, it's a ghost town. Sun was just coming up. Beautiful moments. I'll never forget it. As I'm walking back into the hotel in my hotel slippers, you know, soaking wet with a towel over my head. Jesus Christ, I'm that guy. I'm 48 years old. Uh, the guy at the front desk just looks at me and goes, Monsieur, you appear quite happy. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm pretty happy, man. I'm pretty happy. <laughs> Just, I guess, as a little bit of background, I am for sure the the least NBA fan in our our group. I really don't follow the NBA at all. For sure, I'm a, yeah. I'm a mile behind you guys. Well, I've probably watched more NBA games with less than either than anyone else on this pod i always seem to find my way to toronto to get a free ticket and some drinks and in fact i ended up watching one of the games the third game together in toronto the one that they lost to specifically answer your question i think the natural thing would be you know that crazy Kawhi leonard four bounce in seventh game but actually for me is when they came back and won four straight against uh the bucks uh the highest scoring team in the league freakish offense and uh when they go down two and then come back for four straight i thought okay this team can do it so for me it was that moment that was huge how many games would you have watched during the year like do you watch lots of them on tv or not too much well no i, I watch no sports because i don't have tv <laughs> you're like me. right like I, I i don't have a, i don't have a feed so for me uh i've wa- i watched like when steve was in town we went and saw a raps game together i was in toronto i saw one live so if i want to watch any sports of any kind i have to go to a pub so uh, it's usually feeds but yeah i keep up with uh, the raps especially after what in retrospect was an unbelievable trading decision by the management <laughs> of toronto let's let's swing back to that because that really was what what led in a butterfly effect thing to less spending a bazillion dollars on champagne that really hurt him <laughs> uh, Steve, when uh, when did you believe, or did you believe? Well, I, I've been—I mean, I've been following the raps for the last probably five years, only because you know Lester's a big fan, and I mean, after last year's devastation uh, by LeBron James, where he just basically played with them. Sorry, Les, to bring that up. <laughs> it was devastating to see them finish so well in the league, you know, and it was so promising, and then just to get, you know, stonewalled. When did I think it was going to happen? Well, it was, first of all, it was funny because when they lost to Orlando, I texted Les one night. I was at a bar. I think it was uh, Pascal was on the line and he missed two in a row. Uh, and they had 11 seconds left to go ahead by, you know, by three. And I text Les and said, I don't think they really want it. I got silence for like three hours. He was so angry at me, I think. <laughs> and I realized that I probably shouldn't have said that. But the, I think when they went and they took the first one, you know, when they took the first game in the final series, I thought, holy shit, to go and steal one. I know Clint, to me, was like, holy shit. Like this, this is serious to take the first game. So that was when it was for me, when it became real. I wasn't a believer probably till partway through the final series. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I really, I mean, I'm probably like most of Canada. I really didn't watch. I read a thing on Twitter that they had come back from four games back. I know I talked to you guys a little bit. Even the other series was just sort of vaguely, you know, in the background for me. And it wasn't until the finals. And even partway through that, I mean, they were against a pretty amazing team and had, I mean, arguably a little bit of luck, but that's how you win championships. And so it was... It was probably game four before I really believed that that it was going to happen. So, Lester, you and I will probably have sharp words next time we're actually <laughs> together hearing hearing that from me. Not at all, man. It, That's the truth. And and so, how about you? You're you're the biggest fan. Did you believe halfway through the season? Was it at the start of playoffs? When did you honestly, in your heart, think, okay, we got this? I put money on the Raptors preseason to win the East, and I did that about a week after they made the trade for Kawhi last summer as soon as they made that trade i looked at their roster and i i said these guys are going to be the best defensive team in the nba this year and uh i felt confident that they could win the east i i felt confident that they could beat boston who were the huge favorite preseason in the east Um, but i felt good about the raps going to the finals this season partway through the season i wasn't like extremely confident all year but i did have quite a bit of faith I think that the Philly series was the most stressful series for me. Um, obviously, it went to Game 7, so it was the most stressful series for them. <laughs> uh, when we won that Game 7, I was very confident that we were going to beat the Bucks. I was never really concerned about the Bucks. When you talk about how incredible this Raptors playoff run was, remember the fact that we were down 0-2, trailing in double overtime with Kyle Lowry fouled out of the game. Yeah. Yeah, against Milwaukee, like we were, uh, like on a, on a uh, like on a betting site, the win predictions that changed like live in games. I'm sure our odds of winning the series at that point were literally zero. 
like it would have been a decimal point, it would have been less than 1%, our odds of winning. Yeah. Like we came, you know, we remember yeah. the Philly thing because it was so excited. We remember the finals, but holy shit was our back against the wall against the Bucks in, in game three. Uh, and then, yeah. you know, we, we stormed through that. And down a lot on the fourth. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, Georgie and I talked about it before the, the finals started. George was very excited, obviously, because, you know, he, he had a business trip out to uh, out to Toronto and, you know, was calling me every day. What's the schedule? When are the games? I got to change my tickets. I got to rearrange my trip and uh, managed to <laughs> manage to swing his trip through Toronto and uh, managed to to convince my uh my buddy who I share the tickets with to, to sell him his ticket to, to a game. So Georgie and I went to a game together. And so we were watching the finals very closely. I believed at the start of the finals that if Durant didn't play, the Raptors would win in five. And if he did play, I thought it would probably go seven. As we picked up steam, I felt better and better about it. Um, I actually bet the Raptors in the finals. I didn't bet the Raps to win. I, I bet Kawhi to win the MVP, which was basically the same bet, just with better payout odds. (laughs) Oddly enough, I went to all of the home playoff games. Georgie and I were at game two, which they lost, which was frustrating because we thought they were going to win right to the end. They kind of gave that game away. In game five, you know, when they were up 3-1 and everyone thought, wow, now they're coming home. They won these two games in Oakland. They're coming home. They are going to win. And I'm telling you, Toronto... The city was so on fire that day. It was so jacked up. I've never experienced anything like it. And I was getting more and more nervous all day because I was just thinking the pressure is too intense here. Like this is like crazy. I think they're, they'd be better off if they were playing on the road tonight because there was just like the entire city, the entire country. Like it was just so out of control. And then all that shit that went down with Durant tearing his Achilles, which really swung the momentum in the game. It was the most pressure packed atmosphere I've ever been anywhere. There was so much emotion in that building. If you remember with three minutes left in that game, the Raptors were up six. Nick nurse calls a timeout. It's the playoffs. So the TV timeout is extra long. So it's about a three minute stoppage in play, which he got shit on afterwards. Cause people said that he killed the momentum. But when I went back and watched the game tape afterwards, I, I understand why he called it because Kawhi and Kyle were both really exhausted and they needed a, a break. But at that point, there's this long timeout. The Raptors have just stormed back, scored eight straight points. They're up six with three minutes. That arena was celebrating having won the championship. Like people were jumping up and down and screaming and assuming that the game was over. And when we lost on that on that final shot deflection, it felt like something, and I know everyone's going to laugh at me listening to this because they're like, oh, you're just some stupid, rabid sports fan. It felt like something almost surreal, like that much emotional energy, 20,000 people all becoming disappointed in the same instant, in the same physical proximity, had like a physical feeling to it. It was crazy. Walking out of that arena, all I could think of was... I don't want to go back for game seven. Like, I don't want to go through that again. It was almost like traumatizing. I was like, fuck, we got to win game six because I don't know if I can do that again. Like, it was emotionally exhausting to walk out of that game. Then the next day when I kind of got over it, I thought about it and I thought, you know what? We're on the road and I think um, a lot of that hometown insane pressure is going to be off the guys tonight. And I felt good. I felt confident that they were going to win game six. and, And they did. And... You know, that's that's sort of how it played out. Basketball is like only a few other sports, I think, where that game really could have gone either way on a one second. Oh, you know, yeah. it, it's not yeah. like uh, it's not like in a hockey game where there's a team with some really good pressure, but you're not necessarily going to score. I mean, if that basket went in, yep. the place goes absolutely bananas and it doesn't go in. And now you're right. It's everybody just feels like they got yeah. punched in the nuts. Right. And the way they the way they lost that game on the final shot right, was, uh, you know, the Raps were down one. Boogie Cousins' offensive foul turns the ball over. We get the ball back with 18 seconds. Kawhi is coming down the floor. We're down one. And everybody is just assuming he's going to score and we're going to win an NBA championship. Like, people were celebrating (laughs) before it happened. Like, it was done. It was over. The Raptors had won. He hits the double team, gets snagged, kicks it to Fred, kicks it to Kyle in the corner. Kyle's shot gets blocked. And then the, it's such a flattening feeling. And George, you remember this from game two. 
as well. When you lose right at the buzzer, things go silent, and the in-game announcer just goes, Oakland, 104, Toronto, 103. And it's just like <laughs> such a sickening feeling. Like, it's such a weird way for all that energy to drain. But, yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty nuts. <laughs> Building on what you talked about in the arena and sort of taking it out of that the last game and the last series, but watching the highlights from the parade was like nothing I've ever seen before. Like, I don't know how much research you guys did or looked into this, but like the parade united not just Toronto, but Canada. Yep. Um, the, the millions of people that went out there have to be like no other sports parade. And it really showed in some of the players, uh, Kawhi, for example, that have been in other uh, parades like that and been in other celebrations and I don't know if they were putting it on for the camera I doubt it but they looked genuinely just blown away by the spectacle that that was yeah the parade I was I was working I wasn't in Toronto but everybody that like I had calls and everything was shut down like it was hilarious because people were like ah uh, yeah I'd like to get to that but there's the parade everyone like everyone I talked to mentioned the parade and uh, <laughs> so I tuned into it I wasn't in Toronto I was in Montreal and the people that I talked to said they could not believe the people that work downtown. Like, you know, they, well, they doubled the number that went to, to the last million man march in Washington. Like, it's, like it's insane. <laughs> what do you think well, about and, it? And the last time I think a sports parade was that big a national news. Like, I mean, that was the story for people all across Canada that day. Oftentimes, I mean, if... If Winnipeg had won the Stanley Cup, that might have been a blip on the Vancouver, you know, radio station to say, oh, hey, there was a parade in Winnipeg today. That was news. I was listening to Vancouver radio. That was all they talked about all day that day was a parade in Toronto. And that's like how far away, right? It was, I think it was crazy how that brought people together. I have to be, you know, Milwaukee's actually more northerly than Toronto, right? On the map. Yep. Um, yep. So I would say <laughs> that the, you know, the we the north thing up until they won to me was, you know, we're kind of seemed weird. But when they won and it was like north of the border was kind of a bigger deal when they won. And I think it couldn't help but become a national moment. I think you bring up a good point there, Steve. I think it is a, a national victory. The other, I think, thing that I was impressed with was good on Canadian media. They they really put a lot of resources into the wraps and took them out of NHL playoffs. There wasn't a Canadian team in the NHL playoffs. They were on basically at the same time. And they sent, TSN sent all their best people to follow the NBA finals because the wraps were there and not to do hockey, which there had to be some discussion about that and good on them for igniting the country because it really was a giant story media wise and our country needed it. I, I, 100% believe that. I think that's really cool to hear you guys' perspective on that in terms of, you know, how the rest of the country outside Toronto really came together behind the whole We the North campaign. I hated the We the North campaign when it came out. I was like, this is a cheesy, obvious marketing ploy for the Raptors to just try to sell more jerseys outside Toronto. You're not Canada's team. You're fucking Toronto's team. And I, I was a dick about it and I didn't like it. Now I, now I do like it and I appreciate the fact that you know, all of Canada has embraced the Raptors and you see it when the Raps play on the West Coast, you know, you got a shit ton of fans from Vancouver who drive to the games. When they play in Minnesota, you got fans from Winnipeg who've driven to that game and it's, it really yeah. is Canada's team and mm-hmm. it's very cool that way. So on the parade, I, w- I wasn't at the parade because I was still in, uh, in Paris. So I was, pro- I probably saw less of it than you guys because I was watching it like on my phone most of it just through like a twitter feed and whatnot catching it and just going like oh my god i can't believe what i'm seeing because obviously the i i had a good feel for the perspective of the geography when i could see how big the crowd was because i know those streets in that area and i was like i can't (laughs) imagine how big that is in in terms of comparable events the last time there was a celebration like this in canada i think would have been the uh the 92 and 93 Jays winning the World Series. Like, we probably remember that, you know, our team, and it was a Canadian team winning an American sport, and it was really 1992, cool. right? Yep, 92 and 93, they won it back-to-back years. Yeah. But I think this honestly rivals it, and it's really cool for a lot of reasons. One, because it's basketball. For whatever reason, I'm like the oddball Canadian that grew up a rabid basketball fan. I've, uh, confession, I've never been that into hockey. I think I've been to maybe three or four Leafs games in 22 years in Toronto. I've, I've paid to go to a Leafs game once in my life. 20 years ago, like when, when the Raptors started playing in Toronto and the American media would make fun of Canadian basketball fans, it was legit. It was legit. Like there were those of us, you know, Steve, you and I especially were hardcore NCAA basketball fans. But being an yeah. NBA fan in Canada 
was pretty low number, right? And it was a little niche sport and they would pull one-tenth the television audience of hockey. Now our little niche sport, you know, has exploded into arguably the most popular sport in Canada right now in terms of growth. Like it's just, it's unbelievable. And then the other thing I think is interesting, Bruce, that you said is I really agree strongly that this was an incredible moment of national pride for Canada uh, that Canada needed because it just feels like we haven't had a feel-good story uh, for quite a while. And uh, certainly the city of Toronto, I mean, we had a rough summer last summer with a couple of terrorist uh, attacks and, you know, a lot of shootings. And, you know, it's a city that's been kind of damaged a little bit. And to see the city come together and celebrate like this and the whole country get behind it was really something special. I don't expect I'm going to feel this way about another sporting event in my life. For me, this is the culmination of 22 years of being a rabid fan. I almost feel like, you know, sometimes the level of extreme that my my Raptors fandom goes to makes me feel ridiculous. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I'm that guy. I'm 48 years old and I'm going to a game and then coming home and watching it again uh, on TV because I taped it and then getting up the next day and watching the US feed that I also taped. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like, I'm just like, you know, I'm, a, I'm an idiot. And I almost feel like having made it to the top of the mountain like this, I can like take a breath and go, you know what? We did it. I think I feel like I can take my foot off the accelerator pedal of being such a ridiculous fan and and just relax a little bit, you know, like almost like semi retire because I uh, it was like it was like a till next year till next year. Well, it was like a journey. I mean, obviously, I'm going to go to games and I'm going to enjoy it and I'm going to love it. But this really feels like a journey that we uh, that we kind of went on climbing this mountain for for a long, long time. And that's. yeah, it's cool. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, obviously, in the, in the two weeks since it ended, but that's that's how I feel about it. I can verify that Les watches games because I watched that <laughs> game with Les when we got home uh, after the loss the next day. We yeah. watched that quarter that they lost. Georgie, there's something else, too. Yeah. Like, remember how I was telling you, because I'd been to game one and George and I went to game two. And I said to him, because he's been to games with me before, and Steve, you've, you've come to regular season games, so you know what it's like to go to a Raptors yeah. game? And I'm like, it does not feel the same, because the for the finals, the Raptors don't run the show. The NBA runs the show, and it was like almost being in a different arena. Like, everything was about it was different. Different security, different television, different media, and it was just like a crazy it was like fuck i feel like we are actually like on the road right now like this is just nuts it was so surreal and george i think you can also chime in on what it felt like when the raptors lost and we were walking like we walked for about 15 blocks because we were just like bummed out and like yeah dejected it's like it was a real crushing feeling and then yes the next day i did make you watch the entire uh the entire only one of the feeds though (laughs) we only watched the uh the tsn feed i didn't make you watch the uh the american feed as well i I waited till you left and i watched that one just as an interesting thing here and les has mentioned this before watching a great sporting event on tv the granularity that you get on it is so superior than watching it live, except the life feeling of it. Mm-hmm. It's amazing being in this arena and, you know, high-fiving people in front of us and, you know, you're talking to people beside you that you've sat with all the games, so you knew the guy beside you. It was a very cool, you yep. know, uh, solidarity feeling, but the stuff that you get uh, watching it at home is ridiculous because remember last that game I was at, I was working and you were texting me going, oh my God, was that a foul? Was that a foul? Because they weren't playing the replays. Yeah. And my resident kept texting me and paging me like, where are you? Where are you? And I kept ignoring it because <laughs> I kept answering yeah, your questions right. ahead of, you know, more more important questions in the hospital. <laughs> Hiding in the in the staff room, watching the last two minutes of the Raps yeah. game, texting with me furiously. <laughs> but no, George, that's a, that's a really good point because um, when you're at the game, yeah, it's a really cool experience to be there, but you don't get the details. So if you're a real... Like if you're a real sports junkie, you got to watch, you got to watch on TV. You got to see five replays. You got to hear the the experts talking about it and breaking it down. You can't tell if something is a, is a good call or a bad call. The whole arena is chanting, you know, ref, you suck, ref, you suck. You don't know if it was a foul or not, uh, you know, from yeah. 75 <laughs> feet away. From your seat. Yeah. 90 miles an hour. Yeah. Like you can't, right? Yeah. And you're like, fuck, I really want to see the replay. So I'm like, I can't wait to go home and watch the replay of this to see if I actually was a foul or not. So... Jesus Christ, I'm that guy. 
And then the other thing was that was just magnified so much at the playoff games because it was so loud in there. I'm telling you, you know, the the one big black mark that the Raptor fans got was when Durant tore his Achilles and then the U.S. media was just shitting on the Toronto fans for cheering. Let me tell you what actually went on and sort of validate the process of, of the Raptors fans. That game was going like raging with intensity. The fact that Durant played after Golden State lying and going back and forth and hiding their injuries with all their players for so long, and then they pull him out the last second and play. Everyone was pissed off. He's enemy number one to begin with. He then um, starts jawing with Fred Van Vliet, who he's literally 14 inches taller than, and getting right in his face, and they're going mano a mano. And they showed a little bit of that on TV, but what you didn't even what you didn't see on TV is that during the timeout, they started going at each other on the sideline and had to be separated. So the crowd is is just booing him for picking on like little Fred Van Vliet, right? He just looks ridiculous in the face of this much smaller man. And so the crowd was just on him, on him, on him, on him. When he blew his Achilles, it looked like he just got the ball stripped by Ibaka. And I even thought he's sitting down because he's pissed off at the ref because he wants a foul call. Ibaka goes full breakaway to the far end of the court. The crowd is screaming like, you stole the ball from Durant. You're going coast to coast. You're going to throw down a huge dunk. The crowd is screaming and screaming and screaming. Nobody has any idea that Kevin Durant is hurt. Nobody has any idea. It took like at least a minute. And he was at my end of the court, but on the opposite side, he's sitting there. And then I said to Neil, I'm like, because I saw him like playing with his ankle and I was like, oh, fuck, man, he blew his Achilles. I go, Neil, look, he blew his Achilles. He can't move his foot. And people were still cheering and raging because Ibaka had stolen the ball and gone coast to coast and thrown down a big dunk, right? And it took at least 90 seconds or two minutes. Like, all of a sudden, you could see Lowry and Ibaka kind of waving down to the crowd. It took all that amount of time for anyone around me to have any idea that Durant was actually hurt. And that's just because things are so crazy in the arena. You can't hear anything. Like, Georgie, we couldn't hear the in-game announcer at all, right? You, you're like, yeah, you know, scre- like, George is screaming in my ear. I'm right beside him, and he's screaming in my ear just for us to try to keep a conversation going. That's a pretty good perspective from on the court, because you're right. We all watched it on TV, and it did look—it didn't look as bad as I thought the announcers made it out to be, but it did— it did look poor, right, that this guy yeah. got hurt and everybody was cheering. But at, at the same time, you're right, it wasn't a classic— a look of an injury, like he didn't go down and roll around and no, yeah, yell and scream or anything, right? He just, he, he just sort of sat down and yeah. he yeah. And like, then, he knew he was hurt, but he knew he was hurt. Yeah, they, you know, that's what a blown Achilles is like. It just goes and it's gone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. sad actually. Bruce, let me tell you one uh, one quick story because you guys will laugh at me. This is how you know this greatest moment of my sporting life actually transacted in real time. Coming from a national champion, just saying. <laughs> this is still your greatest sporting moment. <laughs> yes, this dwarfs. Uh, well, you know. Okay, whatever. Side note on that. Um, I've spent all this time intensively making sure that my technology is not going to fail, that I'm going to be able to watch this game. I've VPNed back into my home network. I'm basically watching my own TV. I'm watching the Bell feed in Toronto. And it's crystal clear. There's no time lag. The volume is great. I'm loving it. Five minutes left in the game, game tied, my feed goes out. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. No. What I learned (laughs) after the fact was it wasn't my VPN, it wasn't the Wi-Fi, it wasn't anything. It was the fucking Bell 5 app in Toronto went down, okay? And ironically, when their feed came back live, I read this because I was researching it the next day, when the feed came back up was when the CEO of Bell was on the stage beside Masai Ujiri because Bell and Rogers are MLSE and they own the team, right? So he's on the stage. Meanwhile, he has torched like 200,000 people, like lost their feed with five minutes left in the game. Okay, so I'm in a hotel room. It's 5.45 in the morning. I'm so invested in this. I'm watching my laptop. The feed goes down. I start losing my mind. I'm hitting every button on my laptop. I am fucking panicking, right? Trying to figure, ah, thinking like the feed, what's going on? Blah, blah, blah. I'm, you know, texting people. Did your feed go down? What do I do? Johnny, my buddy in New York, what can I do? Blah, 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 blah. Meanwhile, my girlfriend, who has, you know, been half asleep through most of the game, has woken up. Scared. Very calmly. But yeah, no. She's like lying, lying in the bed beside me, very calmly, FaceTimes her mother 
in Toronto, wakes her up, says, Mom, I need you to get out of bed, go turn on your TV, and hold your phone pointed at the TV. Okay, I'm furiously hitting every button on my laptop. I'm screaming and yelling. I'm like, oh, jump oh, I got Jesus, what's going on? And Alex grabs me, puts the phone in front of my face and goes, just watch this, just watch this. And I literally watched the end of that game, my girlfriend holding a FaceTime phone to my face, her mother holding the other end of the FaceTime connection in the middle of the night in Toronto, pointed at her TV, her mother who doesn't even know what the Raptors are, and that's how I watched the, the end of that game. <laughs> I, I tell you. I've got a comment on this because I've heard this story. I've heard this story already. And the greatest thing about that story is how cool and collected Alex was in that moment. And Les, I don't want you in a gunfight. You fucking broke down. You are a captain of industry and you shat the bed and completely lost your marbles. And Alex just like, oh, wait, I've got a really simple solution here. So since I've heard that story, I wanted to compliment Alex. So this, if Alex listens to this, good on you, Alex. Les Hansen shat the bed. I'll tell you what. She said to me the next day, she said, you know, I've known you a long time. I've seen you go through a lot of stuff. That's the only time I've ever seen you actually panic. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I was fucking panicked. I totally lost it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And she saved the day. She almost got the ring like in that second. I'll tell you what. Holy shit. Alex is like Clint Eastwood in Unforgiven at the end of the movie where he walks into that bar. <laughs> I just calmly start shooting people and everybody's <laughs> fucking panicking and he just shoots 12 people dead and looks at Gene Hackman at the end for a whole minute and then yeah. fucking shoots him in the head. He, she's a stone cold killer. She is, man. She's a she killer. Is. She saved oh, my gosh. ass for sure. I feel like there was a small, a small age thing there too. Less you were like, I have to tap into the underground cable, the, the below the ocean cable. I got to be hooked up. And she's like, eh, FaceTime. Why not? <laughs> Millennial got all the answers, and then Alex called you down from the satellite tower. Come down, get down from there on FaceTiming. Just get down, get down. Just look at my phone. That is awesome. (laughs) Any last thoughts just on the raps and the playoffs? I mean, I love the fact that uh, the coach got to go on stage and play guitar with the Arkells. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty cool. eh? Like the the nation, the nation has embraced our win. If we lose Kawhi to a trade, does Toronto and Canada? care too much or are we just happy with this win i know me because i'm not a huge fan and i i just love how this win happened it was a fairy tale story that they traded for him first year coach all those things i want to see him stick around but i'm not that doesn't crush me if if they blow up this team and we have to start again less you may not have 22 more years left the way your ulcers go but georgie what do you think on that you know i hadn't even considered that i uh I think Toronto still is the forerunner. I, I would be, to tell you the truth, I'd be a bit shocked if he doesn't stay. And if he doesn't leave, he's just made a good decision for himself and his family. It's, it, it, it actually wouldn't upset me that much. So no, I, I think the, uh, the win and the, the, the entire storybook of how it became a win is not going to be able to be reproduced for Toronto. Like it, it's too, there's too many storylines. So uh, yeah, if Kawhi doesn't stay, it would be disappointing. But I think they got a good enough team that they're gonna, yeah, they're gonna challenge the East for a couple more years. I think they're all right. Lester, that on your final thought, you've you haven't said much yet, but uh, we'll we'll, we'll give you the last word. <laughs> I, I told you I had so much. I mean, I could talk about this for another couple hours. I mean, most days I do still. Well, in terms of the playoffs, I think it was really cool how pretty much every Raptors player, significant player, like seven eight guys, um, was responsible for one win. And I just thought that that was a really cool storyline. You know, a couple early series where Danny Green couldn't throw the ball into the fucking ocean, and then he goes off for seven threes in a game. There was a game that Norm Powell pulled out and won for us. You know, in that double overtime game when Kyle fouled out, he just gave huge minutes. Fred Van Vliet won us a game. Pascal. I know everyone's going to laugh at me listening to this because, oh, you're just some stupid rabid sports fan. Put the wraps on his shoulders in uh, in the fourth quarter of that one game against Milwaukee and won the game. Mark Gasol won us a game. 
Kawhi obviously won us several games, but the fact that the press kept trying to spin it, you know, this is Kawhi and a bunch of irrelevant players was not true. Every one of our, every one of the Raptors players who played significant minutes um, was a star and was necessary. And I think that's a beautiful storyline for a team. And then what I loved best of all was that in that final game, Kyle Lowry, who is the heart and soul of the Raptors, who is so maligned in the press, especially in the U.S., uh, probably one of the one of the most underrated guys in the NBA, longest serving Raptor, and when the whole thing was on the line, he comes out in that final game, you know, 15 points in the first quarter, just just scorches and says, you know what, fuck, what do you think now? You know, and he brings that home and he wins that that championship in, in game seven. I hope that gets some of the monkey off his back because he's a very underappreciated NBA player. And I just thought that it's like a, it is like a Cinderella, you know, Bruce, that's a perfect word. It was like a, a like a fairy tale kind of story, this run through the playoffs. And it was it was really cool. I hope that Kawhi comes back because I think, uh, you know, it's, it's always better if a team gets a chance to try to defend their title and you know run it out again and and if he if he does come back i think we are the odds on favorites to to go again if he leaves you know no ill will towards him he didn't ask to come here and and he gave us everything that we could ask for and more um i think the nba is more interesting next year if he stays with the raptors if he signs with the lakers and they have you know a huge power team uh, the the whole season will be less interesting to watch um but you know, like George said, he's going to make his own decision. I'm not going to bear him any any ill will. I hope he stays because it'll be more fun for us as, as Raptor fans, for sure. I think it's also an interesting team where you're exactly right. I think everybody was just happy for this great year, and they know that he put his heart and soul into this year. And what happens next year is next year, right? Long gone are the days of a dynasty where you sign Guy Lafleur to your team and you expect to get 30 years out of them, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's just not that's just not the league anymore. Yeah. And that's and that's fine, right? People have accepted that, and it's made the league exciting and fun. So we wrap it there. If there was ever any doubt where we fell on the spectrum of fans, you call it us less, and I call them the Raptors. <laughs> you say we won Game Seven, and I say hey, the, the Raptors won a championship. I think I think that sort of tells that tells the whole story. Your one quick basketball memory, Steve, we're going to throw it to you first. Oh, I get to take it. I get to take it. This is the easiest layup you're going to make. It had to be the first time Fred Mighty slam dunked in the tournament in grade eight. That was mine. Yeah, no, absolutely. Somebody slammed and we were, yeah. Tell the story. Tell the whole story. They were hosting the uh, the grade eight uh tournament and fred mighty slammed slam dunked and no one had ever slam dunked it <laughs> i thought it was the first i thought it was the first game we played in steve i thought that was our first traveling te- game as a juniper jaguars team oh maybe I, it was maybe it was georgie's here nodding and i mean it was very early yeah. on in our basketball lives that's for <laughs> but sure but it was the day it was the day the world stopped what the, what the fuck just happened <laughs> did a grade eight kid just slam yeah. Yeah, we had never played against yeah. another team before. Or anything. Yeah. We thought we were all right. And then, yeah, when Fred slammed, we were like, okay, there's a whole other world out there. <laughs> and I think we're all four of us yeah. playing in that game. I think we were. That's pretty cool. Uh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was awesome. <laughs> Beauty. All right, George, what, what, what do you got then? If, if the Fred Mighty one's off the table. You know, most of my basketball career ended up being with, you know, Princeton Freddie Towers, Wayne, like playing at the Princeton Towers. So I grew up a few years in the summer. I mean, playing hundreds of hours of basketball. So uh, to tell you the truth, my first moment I will go back is when I started getting a bit better at basketball, and I got my mom to buy me ah! Air Jordans. I remember. Uh, and I showed up. I showed up, and it was with like Kendralini and these guys, <laughs> and uh, I had just started working at Safeway, so Donovan knew me a little bit, and I I barely knew Wayne. I actually met Wayne on the basketball court, if you can believe it. So I show up and I start shooting baskets, uh, and I could jump like I was the white guy that could jump, and um, I ended up blocking Donovan Jones. So I ended up playing Whoa! a game, and I was with, I was I was with, uh, I was with Wayne Wayne. Because uh, I was a good rebounder, and uh, he went up, and I just and I thought like I jumped, up, like I touched the sky, and I came up. 
and I tipped Donovan's ball in my first game against these guys. <laughs> uh, and Wayne came up to me, so bye, N-word. And, that was it. <laughs> and he hugged me. And I was it. I said, this is it. Yeah. This is it. Wayne Jackson and I are now friends. And you were that, in. That was, that Jackson, was, uh, ju- that was my, Jackson took you into the inner circle, just like that. Boom. He adjudicated me. <laughs> I love it. And I passed. <laughs> so that was my, that's my favorite memory, I think. What a way to work your way in. Well, the other, I mean, this is a total aside on that, but so Roy Howard played with us quite a bit. That yes. was part of that same group, right? And so Sheldon Howard, his son is Roy. Like, I don't know the last time you guys have seen Sheldon, but he's six foot four, six foot five. He just wanted... and long. Yeah. But every time I see him, it's like, holy cow, he's... Yeah. Roy he's, was nice, yeah. Yeah, and he, he looks just like any kind of acts like him too. It's cool, and it kind of reminds me of him in Princeton all the time. Les, take it away, and then I'll give you my last one. What do you got for basketball memory? Okay, well, I, I, I in my mind, I had the, uh, the Freddie Dunk probably as my number one <laughs> as well, but that one's been taken off the board. So I'm going to have to go with you guys. Remember a couple years ago, I played in that, uh, that charity tournament that there were some NBA players in, in the, in the first game of the tournament. And this it's, it's a charity tournament, right? Like it's a bunch of old guys like me and, you know, some retired NBA players. It's not supposed to be real ball. And the NBA players that are playing there are certainly not expecting to play real ball. Right. So in our first game, the player on the other team was Roger Mason Jr who actually played a very short stint for the Raptors. But I said to the guys on my team, I'm like, holy shit, Roger Mason Jr. is not a big NBA star, but he was playing in the NBA like two years ago. Like this guy's fully in shape still. Like what the hell? This isn't like Oakley, who's like, you know, walking down the court in a, in a pair of yeah. Timberlands and never, uh-huh. you know, passing half court. Like this guy was actually like a legit player. So I decide, you know, kind of partway through the game, I get, I get switched onto him and I decide this is a legit fucking NBA player. I'm going to go DM up like I'm serious. So he's because there's, you know, they, they just kind of like lay back and they don't want it. But basically, I think they're just trying not to hurt any old guys, right? I go out, I get right in his fucking jersey, I get down low, I smack the floor, I'm like, bring it, right? Like a full jackass. And he looks at me, gives me a look like, dude, what are you doing? Hits me with a, <laughs> with a double behind the back crossover dribble and blows by me so fast that I, I don't think I even moved. <laughs> like, I don't think I had, that I even flinched, <laughs> let alone moved my feet. I think I literally was just like an animated character standing there. So this was a couple of years ago. <laughs> so at game one of the finals, and he's in some way involved in the NBA PA. So he was standing there looking like a million bucks in a suit, you know, with his NBA press pass credentials on and whatnot. And we're, we're walking out and I'm walking by him. He's in the row, one behind me. So he's a little higher than me. So he's even taller than me than he usually is. And I walk by and I go, I go, Hey Roger, good to see you again. And he looks at me and I, and I go, I kind of like gently tap him on the, on the arm. And I go, yeah, a couple of years ago, we played in a charity basketball tournament and I deed you up. And then he gets the serious look on his face, right? Thinking that I'm taunting him. And I go, and you blew by me like I was standing still. And it was the greatest moment of my basketball life. I just wanted to thank you for that. <laughs> and he just started killing himself laughing. He's like, oh, all right, man. All right. I'm glad you enjoyed that. I go, yeah, thanks a lot. All right. My story involves no celebrities or NBA players. It's actually, uh, I think I got to do yours, Steve, from uh, we're out on the driveway. We had had a bit of a party here. We're playing a two-on-two <laughs> game of basketball. So I don't even remember who was playing. It was me and you, Steve, yeah, and Tyler no, Mitchelson, yeah, yeah. I think. And probably like Pete Conway or somebody like that. And so we're, we're playing this game. And it's late, but it wasn't late. It was like 9, 30, 10 o'clock. We'd had a barbecue. We'd had a few drinks. And we're playing driveway ball. And yeah. the neighbors called the cops on us. So we're out there <laughs> just goof, goofing around. And this RCMP shows up. Like they pull up in the car. <laughs> and, and the neighbors are out watching, right? So they had obviously called, and now they're happy to have us shut down. The RCMP person says, "Steve's got the ball. He's like in three-point land." Uh, and they said, "Okay, you guys, you got to put, you got to put the ball away. You got to stop the game." She was serious. She was serious. And so are you. You turned to her and said, "If you want to stop me, you're going to have to shoot me." Turned, <laughs> drained the three. <laughs> yeah, it was epic. And the, the ladies just look at her. <laughs> the cops are just shaking their head. They kind of knew that it was a it was a stupid thing anyway. So then we wrapped it up after that. But it balls of steel right and there. I drained it. Thank God, that would have been less cool. It fucking rimmed it. 
All right, raps boys, go raps go. Oh Canada. We've always been together. We're four of a kind, having fun all day, piling around and laughing away. Just best friends. Best friends are we. I love you guys. That's it. That's the end. You probably found us already on social media, but if not at Snow Day Pod, tell your friends. We've also got an email, snowdaypod at gmail.com. Send us a voice memo. Maybe we'll put your voice on the show. Thanks to the rest of our team, Social Media Todd, Producer Mike, and the secret weapon, Shannon Bison.